Before we would open the word, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we count it a privilege to call upon your name as we express our dependence upon you for everything, as we recall the words of Jesus to his disciples, that without Jesus we can do nothing. And as we are gathered together for the purposes of worship, teaching, receiving teaching, and fellowship, and praise, and prayer, we pray, Lord, for a rich measure of your presence to be with us. As we would open your word, and as we have sung, that you would open our hearts unto your word, and that we may know about your covenant peace. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me to the first chapter in the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel, I find a fascinating and interesting book. And I came across that in my sequential reading of the Bible. I typically read the Bible from cover to cover over a period of, usually takes longer than a year, several years. Um, And just a few weeks ago, I came across the uh, book of Daniel and felt led to uh, preach through this book. So we'll start with chapter 1. The the book of Daniel is after Ezekiel, and Hosea is after that. Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We'll stop our reading here at verse 6. To get a sense of where we are in the course of history in the book of Daniel, the, the, uh, even before we talk about that, the book of Daniel is an interesting book for many different reasons as it uh, contains uh, a, a fantastic narrative, a story of uh, primarily the experience of Daniel and his three friends at this time uh, in history. Uh, as well as the interweaving of God's providence, his sovereignty, his protection, his guidance, um, and so forth, and in wisdom as revealed uh, through them. 
and through the uh, amazing events uh, that happen and then some of the prophecies that are in the book as well. Uh, but the book of ba- Daniel, I, it is among a, a very unique in the, the writing style or structure in the sense that the, the very language that it's written in. Uh, the first chapter, I understand, is read in Hebrew, and then the middle section is read in Aramaic, is written in Aramaic language, and the last section is written in Hebrew again. Um, so the part that we were reading originally was in Hebrew. Uh, the time of Daniel, if we contrast that you know, along the timeline, if you sort of look at this morning, uh, Brother Gary was preaching on the life of Joseph and working through his uh, life, uh, that is dated approximately 1700 B.C., the life of Joseph. Daniel is 600 B.C., so that's like 1100 years later in the history of the children of Israel uh, at a very, very different time period. Uh, interesting for those that are want to do some more study, uh, what I found to be a great resource when you're looking at things historically or uh, chronologically is what's known as a chronological Bible. Uh, I've had this resource for uh, probably almost 30 years. Um, I came across it that time, and what it is is it takes the entire scriptures, but instead of having it arranged in the traditional sense, shall we say, all of the books intact in that order, it takes every verse of the scripture and it's sequential, breaks them up in the sense, in chronological order. And so, uh, you'll, when you read it through this way, you're reading through chronologically of what happens. And so it'll have writings of the prophets interspersed with the writings of the kings and chronicles, and it puts psalms in where they understand them to be written. Uh, the book of Job being among the oldest is right interspersed in, in with the patriarchs in Genesis and so forth. And then when you come to the New Testament, you know, it, it takes all four gospels and intersperses them such that it's one chronological um, narrative and so forth. Um, I'll leave this up here if you ever want to take a look at it. Um, I've found it very valuable just in understanding sort of the concept or the span of time and what happens uh, when. And so when we look at this, the, the, the book of Daniel is referred to, or Daniel's experience chronologically happens at uh, the place of Second Kings chapter 23 near the end, where it refers to this particular king, King Jehoiakim, who was one of the sons of Josiah. Josiah, being a good king, um, brought many uh, godly reforms to his land um, of, of Judah. And of course, when we think about you know the whole history of uh, the children of Israel and Judah, back in Joseph's time, the nation was not yet born. Joseph was among the patriarchs, one of the twelve tribes that became the nation of Israel. Um, and then being in captivity in, in Egypt and being freed, walking through the, the desert, uh, wandering through the desert, being in their own land, re- having their own kings then, and becoming wicked and rejecting God, and then dividing into two kingdoms, Israel in the north and Judah in the south, and uh, various writings of the prophets through all of this. And the book of Daniel takes place during the time at the beginning, or throughout the time, of the captivity of the nation of Judah as they're taken exile to Babylon. A hundred years prior to this time, the nation of Israel to the north um, has already been dispersed and conquered by the Assyrian uh, Empire, and they become intermingled with the people, and there never is really an identifiable group 
from there that ever returns to the land. You know, certain individuals and families or ancestors of him probably did, but not in the same way that the 70-year captivity, of which is just at the beginning now. Daniel and his friends are among the first group of captives that are taken from uh, their city, uh, Jerusalem, to Babylon. And so when you sort of think of just the, the time that they are in, think of, of, of the trauma that they have witnessed. Um, these three friends growing up in predominantly a very wicked time, even though they are known or have the name of the Lord, yet uh, very wicked. That's why the captivity happened in the first place, as uh, God, through the prophets, uh, some of the contemporary prophets during the time of Daniel would be Jeremiah, Habakkuk, um, Ezekiel. Ezekiel is one of the captives that's there. Um, Isaiah was prior to, to this time. So you sort of get a sense of where the prophets uh, line up in our narrative here. And how they prophesied that this captivity is going to happen uh, because of their sin. And it's maybe even hard for us to fully imagine the extent of the wickedness that was happening among people that had the name of God among them. Um, things like, you know, idolatry was was uh, rampant, um, but including things like witchcraft and and even going so far as sacrificing their children in the fire um, because this was part of the pagan uh, practices. Um, we just can't imagine how people that are to have a godly heritage um, and and the, the law of Moses and their prophets and so forth could could fall morally and spiritually to such um, a sad state. And uh, as is the case for sin, sin brings bondage and slavery. Sin is a slavery in itself. And uh, they could no longer function as a nation, as there was just so much corruptness uh, internally and externally in the people, morality, and so forth, uh, that they could no longer function and stand up against their enemies. And uh, the Babylonians, in this came came captive. Um, we see that um, God uh, used the nation of. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians uh, to come in for this purpose. And so one of the things that's fascinating in the book of Daniel is uh, the picture of God's sovereignty and his sovereign hand as well as his providence. So sovereignty meaning God is supreme over all. He has omnipotent power. He has uh, knowledge. He's all wise and all knowing. And his providence being also a, a particular expression of his sovereignty, as I see it, in providing care and protection for his people. And here it says in verse 2, we see that um, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. God was intimately involved in what was going on in this particular siege of the city and the, the Babylonians coming in and uh, that God did not uh, give Jehoiakim the strength and the protection to withstand against this enemy, and so he fell. And uh, just bad stuff um, was, was happening. You know, sometimes we may wonder why, as we think about the, this um, 
time with great wickedness. Sometimes we may observe evil in, in our culture today even. You know, there, there's many parallels to what was happening in the time of Israel, a so-called godly nation. Uh, well, North America is uh, known and the West is particularly known among the world as a supposed Christian nation, godly nation, and how much wickedness is taking place uh, in this land here is a, a, a poor testimony that the rest of the world that doesn't really have a sense of of uh, what Christian is, uh, looks at these nations in the West and thinks, well, is this all of what is involved in being Christian? Uh, it's a completely uh, false uh, picture, wrong picture, not representative of what Christ is uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, such is the false uh, impression when those that carry the name of Jesus don't fully and properly represent him. And so in that sense, that comes to us as well as being those that are called people of God. The way we live, the the, the way we conduct ourselves sends a message to those that would observe us. We have an important responsibility. But sometimes we've also wondered as, you know, why does God permit evil to prosper? And why doesn't God do something about the evil? At times, often he does. He doesn't maybe always do it in the way we would understand it. But in this case, and we see it woven throughout the the themes in uh, the stories in the Bible of how God does deal with wickedness. And in this case, he had a Babylonian and and a pagan empire come in to stop the wickedness that was happening in Judah by taking them captivity and to a new place where they could not practice the same kind of wickedness, at least, that they did before. And he put an end to that. And at times, God did that with other nations as well, put an end to their wickedness by allowing other armies to invade them and to destroy them or take them captive and so forth. And these are means by which God pronounces judgment on their wickedness. In the case of this captivity, we could call it judgment and preservation in the same uh, act, shall we say, or in the same time period. Because while on one hand he was judging them for their wickedness and they could not stay in that land and were taken as captives, so you just sort of think of the, the trauma that took place there of uh, families being dispersed at times or taken taken as slaves, um, others killed along the way, um, dying on the journey, whatever the case may be, just tremendous, tremendous hurt uh, and loss and uh, uh, trauma. And Daniel and his three friends experienced, they were in the middle of this. They were young men when this was happening. But... We can remember that God is in the middle of this. His presence is with those who trust him. Um, They were in captivity due to the sins of the previous generation, maybe the sins of their parents, who knows? They were not perfect either, Um, but the Bible does describe them as very faithful and uh, righteous. And in those Cases where these kinds of things happen, the the innocent suffer along with those that are uh, guilty as well, and so then that gives rise to accusation. Maybe God is unfair. That why why do do these get punished along? Why are they swept up in this captivity uh, as well? Well, in the middle of that, God has a purpose 
for them and as that unfolds as we read uh, the, the book and work our way through it. As God is present, he saves, he preserves, and he calls uh, those who trust in him to be representatives of him in whatever situation they are. So in that sense, whatever situation you may find yourself in, whether you think it's unfair or maybe partly uh, deserved, the answer is always to trust in the Lord from this point forward. Repent for your past sins and trust in the Lord going forward. Uh, Another lesson that we can learn in just observing that history is the sins of one generation affect the next. No doubt about that. Um, And so thinking about those that are particularly young today, there's a number of youth uh, present with us, your choices and the things that you do today have an effect not only on your life, but on those that come after you. Now, there's a lie that goes on in our culture that wants to erase that. You know, Brother Gary talked about nearsightedness, and that is part of the, the lie that's in our culture. Like, you can do whatever you want today. Don't, don't think about the, the long-range uh, consequences of that. Enjoy now. Enjoy the moment. Enjoy this season of life. And the Bible does tell you to enjoy it. But remember that the things that you do, God will hold you accountable. And the things that you do have an effect on your life and those that come after you. And so it's an encouragement to wise choices. Don't give in to habits and patterns because you make a decision once, twice, three times. It becomes a habit and a pattern. And that begins to shape the kind of person you become. And it shapes your character. Um, Are you a virtuous person or are you a person that is uh, uh, becoming a wicked person? Are you a, the kind of person that other parents want their kids to play with you because of the kind of nature that you have? Or are, you're the, are you the kind of person that parents warn their children about to watch out for that kind of person because you're a bad influence? Um, these are the kinds of things that I encourage everyone that's a young person here to think about that um, because it's real and it has huge consequences. So decisions, maybe small decisions of whether to be honest or dishonest, to to be covetous and greedy and selfish. Um, Later on, those that are in their teens, and later on there's a huge temptation to participate in consumption of alcohol and to do that to excess and to experience drunkenness and the the, the temporary so-called euphoria, apparently, that comes with that and so forth. And then, uh, of course, the hangover that's afterwards. uh, substance abuse, and so forth. Um, remember, these things have consequences far beyond just the immediate and the temporary. Remember the things that Brother Gary mentioned this morning in regards to personal purity uh, in your body and in your mind. But the good news is, no matter where you are in your experience with this, perhaps there are a number of people that have already dabbled in this, and in a sense I've already set a measure of your course in a particular direction of of, uh, wickedness. And uh, you find yourself just sort of naturally kind of already doing that. You're somewhat in a groove that way. I encourage you to believe the gospel, repent and turn to Jesus. He is the only one that can rescue out of you out of that. To deny uh, the the situation that you're in and say, oh, I'll, I'll 
I can stop any time. I can correct my course. Um, I'm only going to do this until I'm pick an age. You know, when when I'm 18, then I'm going to turn around, or when I'm 20, I'm going to turn around. Whatever it is, those are lies that the enemy is going feeding you in order to keep you on that path. Because the longer that you stay, the more difficult it is to get out. Not that Jesus doesn't have the power to rescue you, but your desire and your ability to repent and the and the, the transforming process and the healing process of the damage that you've done to yourself is painful and difficult. Um, and the chains that you are forging by your sinful choices um, become to um, strangle you in a sense. Um, be careful. I encourage you, turn to the Lord and repent. Because Jesus has the power to save and to heal. If we ponder on getting back to uh, Daniel and his three friends and their experience, um, it tells us a little bit about the kind of people they were. Um, they, these were not just ordinary, run-of-the-mill people like you and I. Uh, they were nobility. They had uh, parents and uncles and aunts and whatever that were nobility, kings and, and so forth, that was part of their lineage. So uh, they were, in a sense, already set apart in the, their society uh, that um, the Babylonian king wanted to take these guys uh, and, I don't know how they all identified them, you know, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored, skillful in wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science, um, and, and so forth. I don't know how they figured this all out, that these four friends, among others, uh, that fit this category, uh, to take them and give them special treatment. They, they were not treated like uh, slaves in the sense of uh, laboring slaves uh, in the field and, the, and this and that. They had a particular uh, purpose uh, for them. But think about these four friends. It sort of describes them as a, uh, the book focuses primarily on them. And uh, their own experience as they are carried captive, no mention of any contact with their parents, um, what happened to their parents, uh, whether they're alive or dead, um, or what the case might be uh, with them, wondering what the agenda has that the king has for them. In they're, they're not free, in a sense. They're still captives, but they have a particular purpose. Uh, but nevertheless, they decided that they were going to follow God uh, no matter what? Getting back to a little bit about the captivity, the 70-year captivity, of which this is the beginning stages of, as they are in the land of Babylon for 70 years, as it was a judgment and a preservation. In the sense of a judgment, because of their sin, they couldn't stay in their land. Preservation in the sense that God had a purpose for the tribe of Judah, as uh, Brother Gary referred to this morning, um, uh, Judah being the, the, the father of this tribe, um, God had selected him not because he was anything special, uh, certainly didn't have good moral character if you were reading that chapter um, in Genesis uh, 38 or thereabouts, whatever it was. Um, but he chose that he had prophesied through the line of Judah the Messiah would come. And so the tribe of Judah had now grown into, you know, whatever, hundreds of thousands of people. And uh, uh, these people were 
wicked through and through. How was he going to, in a sense, preserve them as a nation, as an identifiable group of people, so that they would stay intact long enough for the Messiah to be born, who was not to be born for another 600 years or so, in the fullness of time, as however God decided of when Messiah was going to be born. Here we are 600 years earlier uh, yet, uh, prior to that time. And in a sense, the people that God has chosen through whom this lineage would come are uh, getting way, way off track. And so God was not perplexed. This, he, he knew this would happen, and he had it figured out already beforehand of how he was going to preserve them. And so he chose to take this group of people, a certain segment of them, not the entire tribe, some of them were left uh, in the land, um, into a foreign nation for 70 years and then return back to the land as an identifiable group of people and, in a sense, rebuild their identity with God. And so in that sense, this kind of captivity was a preservation for their very existence. Fascinating. I find that just fascinating how God exercises his sovereignty using the free choices of other nations who act in their own selfish interests and so forth and their own national interests and whatever greed and whatnot as he comes and takes gold and silver and gold articles out of the temple and has the captives carry them, you know, thousands of miles, whatever that distance was. I didn't look it up into uh, the land of Babylon, again, probably because those same articles eventually end up back in the same temple um, or in a rebuilt temple uh, where they came from. So there's a lot of miles in some of those articles uh, that uh, God had a purpose in uh, preserving them in foreign nations. And so sometimes uh, it's amazing how God uses many different kinds of means to accomplish his purpose. And those who trust in him he preserves them in various ways. doesn't mean we won't experience pain and hardship and trauma and sometimes even death, um, but his nature of preserving for his purposes is uh, abundant, evident uh, in Scripture. Uh, during this time of uh, captivity, uh, just prior to the captivity, as I mentioned earlier, Jeremiah was one of the prophets uh, that spoke uh, a lot about this coming and encouraging the people to repent. Um, and he was treated very poorly and unjustly by uh, the then kings and so forth. But I find it very fascinating of what happens actually to Jeremiah during this siege of the city when this battle happens, and I think it's the same, you know, there was more than one battle and so forth, and so I might get confused as to what happened in which particular one. Um, but in uh, we can read it in Jeremiah chapter uh, 39 when uh, Jer- uh, Jerusalem finally falls uh, completely as in there's several uh, waves of captivity, shall we say. And so Daniel and his friends are among the first and then some years later is another group taken and another group and so forth. And when it seems to finally fall for the last time in, the, in uh, Zedekiah, uh, the king... Um, Uh, We read something very fascinating in Jeremiah chapter 39, verse 11, during this battle of the final uh, destruction of Jerusalem. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, gave charge concerning Jeremiah to Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, saying... So, think about this. This is a pagan king 
giving special instructions to the commander of the army that's destroying this city and say about Jeremiah, a prophet of the city that he's conquering. Take him and look well to him and do him no harm, but do unto him even as he shall say unto thee. And so this order was carried out. That even though during this battle many were destroyed and killed, God saw to it that Jeremiah's life was preserved by the enemies. The enemies treated Jeremiah better than his own kinsmen that he was prophesying to, warning about the judgment of God. Fascinating how we can see how God working in the hearts of all kinds of people to uh, bring about his purposes. And so the main point here is to trust in God. And this was the message of the prophets all the time. As the the children of Israel, when they were fearful about their enemies, they made alliances with other uh, nations, pagan nations, to help help me protect, help protect me from that uh, nation. And they would pay them money and, and various things like that. And that was one of the 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 things that that God had against them. He says, "Trust in me. Don't trust in these other nations. They're going to turn against you. They're just using you." Uh, for this and so forth. And sometimes we as the people of God may be tempted to trust in other means because we feel God is not going to come through or we're not sure God is going to come through. So just in case we're going to place maybe an equal amount of trust in plan B. You know, maybe in our minds we hope for plan A and we hope God is going to come through. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure. You know, my trust level in God is just not quite that high. So I'm going to resort to some other means just in case God doesn't come through. Well, that's not the kind of relationship God desires for us uh, to have with us. Um, but that he is our primary trust. And he will direct us, of course, of how to see things through. It doesn't mean we don't um, take reasonable measures to help ourselves in whatever the situation may, might be, of course. But the main point is where is our allegiance and where is our trust uh, in, in him? And so as Daniel and his three friends find themselves in a really terrible time in the history of their country and are taken captive, experience great trauma, we learn they knew or learned, and we see in reading their story of God's providence over all events. And sometimes, you know, it's easier, of course, to read about it with a bird's eye view, as we can sort of see what's happening unfolding us, and so forth. We, we love stories that work out that way, and so forth. But when we're in the middle of it ourselves, this is the same God that we have today. This is the same God whom we trust. And so, as we are in the middle of our story, of whatever is happening, may we trust in his sovereignty, in his providence, of watching over you and me, as our own story uh, unfolds day by day. And his sovereignty is over government actions. Lots of things we can't control. Nations and superpowers have their agendas and their designs and their goals of what the society should look like that they want to rule and and whatever the, the case may be there. They have their agendas. God is sovereign over that. 
Um, he's sovereign over our personal actions. We have made choices that may have taken us down the wrong path for a season. God in his providence and sovereignty can turn that around if we participate with him, if we cooperate with him, and he can redeem sinful choices, bad choices that we have done ourselves, that maybe we think, well, we, we, we deserve um, a, a bad lot in life because we've made bad choices. Well, that's true, but we don't have to stay there. We can repent and turn to God and ask for help, ask for forgiveness, ask for a path forward uh, onto a better road. Uh, God is gracious and merciful and desires that for us. Um, uh, other people's actions that we can't control, um, our employer's actions, our family's actions, our uh, uh, society's actions. God is sovereign over all of those. Not that he um, approves of all of those. By no means, that's not what we mean here by God's, God's sovereignty. He's not necessarily instigating all those actions. He's not approving of those actions. Sinful ones, of course not. Um, but nevertheless, what we can control, what our decisions are, what we can do going forward is trusting in the Lord no matter what and uh, for his people to be protected um, and kept safe. And of course, the definition of safety is not always what we desire it to be uh, as we want things to be uh, comfortable and we want a big safety margin of, of uh, a danger and so forth, of things that we're fearful of and things that we can't control and, and things that we want to avoid. Um, sometimes the Lord may want to bring us right through that, just as he did with Daniel and his three friends, or as, as a Jeremiah, when the city is falling apart around him in battle, he is personally protected um, and uh and so forth. And so the, the main point that God wants to preserve us from, and not merely physical protection, not merely biological protection from, from illness or disease or uh, catching one thing or another, that's one level of protection. But God is much more interested in the welfare of our whole being, body, soul, spirit, our mind, and how we think uh, and how we function uh, in terms of relationship with him and in terms of relationship with others. And uh, these are the kinds of things that God is primarily interested in, in preserving us from evil, from uh, deception, and so forth. May we trust in him and turn to him. And he can, just as he did with Daniel and his three friends, as we will, uh, in the coming uh, weeks, as we work our way through their story, um, may our story be notable in its own way to those that are around us, to our children, to our neighbors, to our co-workers, and that they may see that even though we suffer hardship and unfair things have happened to us and we've made mistakes in the past, but there is a person whom God is with, and that stands out as a testimony, uh, not to our own credit, uh, but by the grace of God and the rescuing power of Jesus Christ to make our life something beautiful for his purposes and for his glory. May we be encouraged uh, by these words. Amen.